Greetings, programs, and welcome to a new episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and here with me, as always, is Simon to review two new things this week. Uh, how are you, Simon? Hello. Well, it's been a week, but I'm happy to be here with you today. And our wonderful listeners, who seem to be increasing in number um, every week, which is very, very nice. Let's mm-hmm. um, talk about your week, because it sounds horrific. Uh, filled with just bad things, man. Like, I'm sorry, it's a jarred uh, week. Well, it's fine. It happens. Stuff like no one at home needs context, but it's just one of those uh, weeks where the universe goes right. Let's let's see how you're going to deal with this one. Like, lots of side quests this week. Yeah, and, um, I feel like your week has been the embodiment of like you know that old uh, meme that's like a, a picture of a, a harbor or something, and there's like six lightning strikes. And the caption is, fuck these six fish in particular. <laughs> I feel like you are one of those All fish that fish. week. Yeah. <laughs> All six fish at the same All time. All six fish, yeah. Yeah, yeah so sometimes um, uh, life gives you lemons, but your lemonade machine breaks. So you're just left with lots and lots of lemons. And the lemons keep coming. The lemons don't stop. Like, it's an avalanche of lemons. And then it becomes, um, basically, you can't find the lemonade machine anymore. You're not even sure if you ever even had a lemonade machine. <laughs> you, were just, you were just squashing them by hand and adding sugar. And you start to wonder if you ever made lemonade or if you're just really good at ignoring lemons. I don't know. I mean, my advice, I will paraphrase one of my favorite things ever. And my advice will be that if life gives you lemons, you clone those lemons and make super lemons. <laughs> Yes, what a great game that is as well. <sighs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm flying soon. I'm going to England. In uh, in fact, this is my last podcast for a couple of weeks because I am journeying to the homeland um, to eat some real damn food for a change and to drink some actual beer. Thanks, Canada. And um, I, I don't think you can call <sighs> boiling everything real food. <laughs> Here's the thing. Right, like I mean, when you grow up on English food, there I I appreciate that many cuisines over the world have a more dynamic style of food. Or oh, it's two one Argentina, so oh. Australia have scored. That could be interesting. Um, I appreciate that many cuisines, in fact, all cuisines over the world, have more dynamic spices and or any spices and <laughs> seasoning. <laughs> but when you grow up with the epitome of comfort food then it, it's it's not only something you miss, but the thing about living in British Columbia, I haven't been to the rest of Canada, so I have no idea, but all the quote-unquote English food in Vancouver is dreadful. And it's like um, an AI has been fed British recipes and tries to like update it with local ingredients. And, and there's some... I, I'm not going to get into... <laughs> I'm not going to get into this in detail, but there's some certain things with certain foods that are a basic thing, and they fuck around with it here, and then call it the same thing, and it's terrible. And that's that's my opinion on English food. But the the international food in Vancouver, because it's a young city with zero cultural history, but it's been built on the shoulders of many generations of immigrants. So that means the international food is exceptional. And you don't get that in England. Let me tell you, you do <laughs> not get that in England. So it's um, horses and courses and potato, potatoes and whatever else you want to say. But I, I just miss like Sunday roast and I miss Milton Mowbray pork pies and Scotch eggs and good, like a Cornish pasty that's actually a Cornish pasty. Just, I don't know. Um, and that's before we get into the beer, like the beer. I don't even want to begin talking about the fucking overhopped nonsense that's in this country. <laughs> I mean, anyway. I, I've, <laughs> I, have no, I have no dog in this race other than to say, I think your analogy is imperfect. I think a better analogy for English yeah. food in Vancouver is that it's like, it's several generations removed. So it's more like a game of telephone. Well, like It's been way. passed yeah. down. <clears throat> and every time it gets passed down, it gets passed down a little bit differently. And then, and then some hot young chef goes, "I know what'll make this cilantro." And, and yes, let's yeah. do a de- deconstructed pie. Like, Fuck you. no! Like putting the meat on one side of the plate and then shavings of pastry on the other side of the plate. 
and then pouring gravy in a bowl is not a deconstructed pie. Well, it is, but that's not a pie. Oh. I'll be, I'd be willing to bet that you do have those things in your home country as well, though. Yeah, but we do, and nobody eats them. And everyone knows it for what it is, which is pretentious bullshit, which, <laughs> which is a, uh, a increasingly common phrase that I'm using when I watch movies these days. But we're not going to get into that either. Um, uh, well, we might. Anyway, we might. We never know. Anyway, so, we might with so, one of the films. My, my meanderings to this point, because I'm flying, is that I've been preparing all my in-flight entertainment. So I have a Steam Deck, and I have a Vita, and I have an iPad, and a computer, and a, a MacBook. So I've been loading everything up with stuff. And um, I feel like I've finally achieved everything I want on all my devices. So, And w while doing that, I've been playing uh, bits of everything, especially old um, PSP and Vita games. Let me tell you, a, a, a cracked... Um, so a hacked Vita is probably the perfect handhold console, and I love this. I love the Steam Deck very much, but calling that portable is a bit of a stretch. Yes, it has its own battery, and you can move it places. <laughs> <laughs> but but having the Vita uh, still from the future, that machine, a Sony had it right where they wanted it years before anyone else and completely neglected it but once you well nobody bought thing, it is the problem because well, like you had one and i had one and that those are the sum total of the number of people i know who actually had one. <laughs> but now they're very easy to uh, jailbreak and you can put all vita games on them and um uh, and uh, emulation thing. it's just the perfect thing sorry all psp games and ps1 games so it becomes all of these things in a thing that just goes into your pocket. It's um, an amazing machine with great battery life too. Yep. So that, that's been my week, really. Yep. My week you? has been far less interesting. I've been watching the World Cup and trying to find the time to watch movies. It's pretty much my whole mm. week because I uh, I guessed, I was a guest on ContraZoom podcast this week, oh, really? uh, which will be out on my, right around the same time this episode comes out. ContraZoom coming out. Oh we're God. talking about Sleep, sleeping around. Yep, and uh, we're talking about the an A twenty four film called The Captive, which is not very good. Um, as part of their A twenty four retrospective series, so look out for that ContraZoom pod on your favorite podcasting platform if you want to hear me talk about a bad movie featuring a good Ryan Reynolds performance. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, Team Canada was eliminated from the World Cup to basically no one's shock, but I think everyone was surprised at how well they played. Uh, we did score twice, once in game, the second and once in the third game. That was nice. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of can't believe... The more surprising thing to me about the Group F, the group they were in, is that Belgium didn't make it through. <laughs> Just like, what? They're a really good team. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Morocco and Croatia managed to edge them out. That's that is legitimately nuts to me. Yeah, and what's really interesting about this World Cup is how many um, teams are coming out of no uh, from the background, like your your Koreas, your Japans, and all these all the favorites that were were meant to go through have have I think not pushed as much as they should have. Like Belgium certainly didn't. Argentina are playing Australia at the moment, and um, they're not the team they used to be. Same with Mexico. I think uh, England's in a really interesting place because we're not we're not playing very flashy football at the moment, but we're playing very solid football. And I think that's that's not something that's really happened to us. Usually, we we try and be flashy, and we have your one player, we have your Beckhams or your Roonies, and we build everything around that. And so, as soon as they get carded or get injured, we fall apart, and it happens every single time. The English mm -hmm. football this time has been a lot more solid. Gareth Southgate, if you had told me 20 years ago that Gareth Southgate would be an, an extremely competent uh, England um, uh, commander-in-chief, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, like I would I would never have believed. I would have laughed you off the pitch. But, but he is, he's not interested in flash. He's not interested in focusing everything on one player. Like we don't have a Beckham or a Messi. We have lots and lots of really good players who are working together and actually passing competently and then having some good finishing as well. So it's going to be very interesting when we next play tomorrow uh, where that let's, actually goes. 
And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, England and the United States both made it through in their group, oh. but the United States have been eliminated. <laughs> Excellent. I don't really care who wins, but I didn't want them to. So that's United States have are you, state. They went through, didn't they? U.S. They went through the group stage. They played the Netherlands this morning and lost. The Netherlands was a knockout. Yeah. Oh fuck! I thought ne- that was a group stage. Oh, Netherlands made it through oh, to the quarterfinals. Oh, I didn't realize they'd started already. Oh, shit. Yeah, the game the game that you're watching right now, which is Argentina Australia, is also a knockout game. Whoever oh. wins that, whoever wins that match, will play the Netherlands on the 9th of December. Oh God, I am so out of the picture. Really? Okay, well that's good to know. That means um, that means our game tomorrow is a knockout game. I didn't realize the group stages have finished. To be honest. Yeah, they finished uh, yesterday. At the time of this recording, they finished on Friday. So yeah, the last the last games were on the second. Well, then you know what that means: heartbreak (laughs) for England as we do well but go out because we uh, like make some mistakes. Or who are we actually playing then? Senegal. You're playing Senegal on uh, Sunday the fourth. See, you'd like to think that you would win that, right? But who knows in this World Cup, so many countries have come from a place where you would expect them to lose and have pushed out. Um, yeah, I mean, Senegal beat Ecuador, countries. which is something I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they also beat Qatar, which nobody was uh, shocked by. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Netherlands were in that group too. The Brazil game yesterday was, was fantastic. And um, I think my, honestly, Ghana, I think. My favorite thing that has happened in this World Cup so far was the... What group was it? Um, Yeah, Group E, where uh, Germany and... (laughs) Germany won their last game 4-2, and Spain lost their last game 2-1 to Japan, but Spain got to advance and Germany didn't, <laughs> even though they, they have exactly the same record, but Spain had scored more goals in the group stage play. So they got to advance. I think that's hilarious. Like yeah. that's, that's the kind of stuff I like to happen in my world cup. Just like weird mathematical BS. Like it's, <laughs> I find it deliciously ludicrous as a person. Like I love, I love the world cup and I love the world series and I've been known to watch the Stanley cup, but like North American sport is always like, like at its shortest, it's best of five games. So mm-hmm. when this weird like mathematical stuff happens, I'm like, this is amazing. Like just like <laughs> do, let's do this. And Gary Lineker made a good point yesterday when um, Korea when they finished their game, they got out someone's phone and they huddled in the middle of the pitch to watch the other game that uh, if stayed the same, they would go through. But if the other team, if either other team scored, they would go through. And they the absolute joy when that whistle blew and the, the I love the the Koreans and the Japanese I would be quite happy if they go as far as possible because yeah. their fans have just been wonderful but Gary Lineker said this is the difference in football it's the value of one goal like and I never really thought about that before that in lots of North American uh sports it's all about points and and lots and lots and lots of points but the value of one goal in football there's no other sport that really has that kind of impact no. Well, I would make this an, uh, a sports podcast for the week, but we've been, <laughs> we've been bantering for 50 minutes now, so we should probably move on. I like it. We should be sport. Because <laughs> this, this is a movie podcast, not a World Cup podcast. Uh, so apologies to our regular listeners who don't give a crap about sport, because uh, we do. And I think we should just sign off this new this new recurring segment by saying FIFA is evil and so is Qatar. Yeah. But at least I can talk about this book. Can you imagine if we tried this with baseball or with hockey with me? I think you, I think you'd do better than you'd think with baseball uh, uh, in that, because you've actually been watching it. Maybe. Uh, maybe. But, hockey, I have, yes. Yeah. Maybe. But you know, hockey is easy, man. Like just imagine, imagine football, imagine soccer and make the field smaller. Uh, <laughs> make, make the teams Five, make it five aside soccer with a, with a goalkeeper, mm-hmm. and then cover the field in in ice. That right. is and, that is that is hockey. That's basically hockey right there. And then and, you hit, uh, you hit a small thing with a stick instead of a big thing with your foot. 
and encourage fighting as part of the sport, but only in one part of the world. Because when you played the world in hockey, you have to stop that shit because it's fucking stupid. Yeah, that's <sighs> an accurate assessment. Many. <laughs> Anyway. I, I went to the uh, I went to the Shark Club in Vancouver to watch my first ever hockey ice. Sorry, you don't say ice hockey hockey game in Canada, and my friend was late. And uh, in the game, they started fighting, and I was like, "Oh my god, they're fighting! Look, everyone, they're fighting! They can't!" And everyone was just like, "Yep, yeah, it's a fight mm-hmm. in hockey." And that was the beginning of my journey with hockey. Anyway, let's talk anyway, about stuff. Let's just move on to some movies, like like we yeah. promised our listeners we would. Sorry, uh, oh. by by nature of that being the theme of our podcast. Uh, um, this week is interesting. We're talking about all Netflix movies all the time, both of which I think are quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to start with the less of a big deal one of the two, and that is the newest new release, uh, the Norwegian kaiju film Troll, which, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, I low-key loved. Um <laughs> I don't know that this is a good movie, but this is a very fun movie. Uh, I, text, I texted you as I was watching it an hour in. I said, this is by no means an insult, but this is a movie my kids would have made. Like, yeah, it is a, and honestly, yeah, good. Yeah, it it's is, exactly that kind of movie. I I know. What's the premise? Give me the premise on this one. So, <laughs> I'll do so, Pinocchio. <laughs> so, so the the premise of Troll is it's set in Norway, and there's a young woman paleontologist, and her father is a uh, is a crazy person who now lives as a hermit. But you know, you find out that as when she was very young, they were very close. But he's a uh, how did they put it? Um, he studies like folklore. He's a folklorist. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it jumps forward to when she's a young adult, they're digging up dinosaur bones. And there's a very brief appearance by esteemed Canadian character actor Billy Campbell, which is always good to see. He's in, like, two scenes as her, like, funding person on her dig. Um, but then there's a, a, a project. She, when she's young, her father tells her about the trolls and how they all became mountains. And then when she's an adult, there's a project to drill a tunnel through this particular mountain and when they do that, they awaken a troll, and then the <laughs> troll starts walking towards Oslo, and they have to deal with that. And that's basically the whole movie, and it's uh, kind of wonderful. Uh, I wonder if if you've seen Jurassic Park and Transformers, maybe uh, you'll recognize because this director certainly has. <laughs> it's yeah. Whoever the people who wrote who made this movie are clearly big fans of Jurassic Park. They're clearly big fans of Godzilla. Um, they're clearly big fans. There's there, there's at least one shot, like one camera motion, that is lifted whole cloth from oh. the first Michael Bay Transformers movie. Yeah. Um, they full on do a scene where there's there's two people in a house in the mountainside, and before you can hear it coming. They start noticing that, like the 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 tea in their teacups is doing the Jurassic Park thing when the T Rex is approaching, and it's amazing. At one point, the crazy old man character, the father character, who's been brought out of exile because he's a troll expert, literally says to the press to the prime minister of of Norway in regards to drilling this tunnel. You were so fast to figure out if you could. You didn't stop to think about whether you should. <laughs> it's a, it's amazing. It's an amazing like cacophony of pop culture references, I, but in but in the way where like everyone is committed, but also understands exactly what kind of movie they're making, and the yeah. it's so much fun. And also really the troll is. the troll design is also incredible. Just, just right, I would just, absolutely. Absolutely, because they with the Transformers, the microwave Transformers, you took the G one designs and made them less toy like, and and you get these like wood uh, metal shaving monstrosities that we had in his movies. Um, in this movie, the troll is like an actual troll. There's no there's no attempt to modernize it or make it look more kaijui like they did with um, Mothra and. Godzilla and all that. It's literally a giant walking big nose troll with a tail and a beard and like gnarly yeah. teeth. And I think it's but all the better for it. And also super detailed though, like very yeah. it's it's a creature made out of rock and it's very apparent that it's made out of rock and all of its like hair 
is made out of like trees and foliage and its beard is like roots and it's super detailed and it also leans very much into the like the idea that trolls were intelligent beings and it's you know christianity's fault that we all believe they were just big and dumb Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. as like a propaganda campaign and like it turns out that like (laughs) it's i don't want to spoil too much of this movie but i just love i think we we can yeah i mean like it turns out that the 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 palace the king's palace in in oslo is built on top of the hall of the mountain king uh like the literal <laughs> troll kingdom throne room um and like the, the royal family all knows that trolls exist and they have at one point they have to like take a car from the palace and so they take the the queen's favorite car which is like a 70s chevy pickup like it's just so it's so wonderfully dumb and so fun and i mm-hmm. wish i'd been able to see this on a big screen mm-hmm. i think it would played really well on a big screen yeah there's a lot to love about this film. I kind of wanted to describe it like if an AI had been fed all these different movies and then been told to make a movie about a troll. But that that sounds kind of uh, dismissive. And it's really important to remember like the point you make where everyone's in on this and it is so much fun. It actually feels like a, a really... There's a real nice sense of warmth, and the pace is incredible. There is not an ounce of fat on this movie. Usually, yeah. in this kind of movie, when when you discover the like, everyone knows the audience knows there's a monster there. The one scientist knows there's the monster there, but there's always an hour when the people in charge go, "No, no, it's not a monster." No, 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 no. And then an hour and fifty minutes later, they see it for the first time, and like, "Oh, you were right." Now we have to devise our plan. You, it, that's just, it gets straight to the point where everyone's like, oh yeah, it's a troll. Like within yeah. like 20, 20 minutes, if I'm being generous, everyone yeah, knows it's a troll and everyone's treating it like an actual threat and not a giant big nosed troll with a tail. And like, it's that tone that makes this so much fun. And the pace, it just hits those points and it, and it, it gives some character moments as well but it doesn't waste any time i really appreciate that for the whole movie yeah i like that when the troll like first emerges they have this this like phone cell phone camera footage that clearly shows a giant being and everyone's like <laughs> shit that's a giant being except for like there is always one government There's guy one being guy, like yeah. couldn't possibly be the same guy who wants to like nuke oslo to solve the problem or whatever later in the movie which sounds like a spoiler but like it's not a. It's weirdly not a complaint that I'm saying you've seen this movie before, because it's it's made with such like care and reverence for yeah. for this kind of movie. Like it is, it's so much fun. We could outline every single plot point in this movie, and there would be technically no spoilers because as soon as you start watching this movie and you realize what it's doing, you know exactly what's going to happen. Um, yeah, pretty apart much. from one thing, so. I want to talk about the ending because this is the only part of this movie that I disliked and actually it tainted how I feel about the whole film. I, I agree. I think that the ending, the way it chooses to end is not bad. It's bad Um, because they were, okay, we'll try and keep something back, but the main, um, uh, the, the focus, the protagonist, the scientist called Nora played brilliantly by, Ine, Ine Murray Wilman, who's just so full of fire, and she uh, she has a wonderful moment earlier where she's like, "Well, of course it's a troll. And if you want my help, then we're going to call it this. We're not going to pretend it's sinkholes. Should we go now?" Yeah. <laughs> um, she uses the old fairy tales, of course she does, to work out how to stop this troll because, of course, weapons don't stop it; it just makes it angrier. So mm-hmm. she works out that trolls are meant to uh, turn to stone. Um, in uh, a certain kind of light, like a direct daylight, sunlight, not just it's you, daylight. It's, it's UV light. UV, it's UV, UV light. light. You can just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like vampires, but, but stone. So she sets up <laughs> the UV lights and, and they trap it. She's successful. And of course she's successful. And of course she wins. And the, the way they use the pickup truck to get the troll where they need it to be is such a great car scene. It's so yeah. good. It's so well shot. Like the whole thing is, and the effects are good as well, by the way. Um, so, and then of course, because you as the audience, you know that the troll's not evil. He's just, tra- he's just woken up in a world he doesn't 
uh, understand that he's just trying to get home and he's sad about the loss of his family and the Christians killing everyone. So he's not the bad guy. It's, not, it's just, it's your classic Kong Godzilla setup. Yeah. And you're waiting for the moment for this, for that one person to go, wait a minute, this isn't right. And it, it comes <laughs> she's like, we're hurting him. And then she's like, you need to go home. I'm like, okay, this is the part where she manages to get him back and 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 to rest in a mountain. And and then the the sun, <laughs> the yeah, sun the comes sun, up. Sun comes up, up and he's like, oh well, he dies. He's like, he's down a rock. And she's like, oh, we did it. I'm like, no, 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 no. You Yeah, it's you, so it's, it's it's not good. It's so the ending feels really rushed. Yeah. And that that main character Nora goes from being like, well, we're hurting and we have to stop. To oh, we won, and like with no yeah. like in seconds. She, like even if there'd been one line in there where she was like, we could have saved him, um, you know, like something, mm-hmm. uh, it would have been better. But yeah, it's it just feels like they kind of like ran out of time and money and went shit. How do we? Oh, the sun. Yeah, it's, it's a night shoot. And the sun's coming up. Let's use that. Like it's. it's, so- it's it's so strange how you got immediately that realization that she doesn't want to hurt him and she's sad. And then immediately another source of that light arrives and she's happy. And then she smiles wryly into camera as they set up like the sequels. And it's just, it kind of ruined. It's the only part of that movie that wasn't playing along, right? The whole yeah. rest of the movie, the whole rest of the movie I adored. Like I had such a good time watching this film until the end. And it kind of ruined the whole thing for me. Yeah, and it sucks that I feel like we've obviously just spoiled the shit out of the ending, but also like still watch it. You can you can see it coming. Like it wouldn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It totally doesn't matter. Um uh because like you've definitely seen this movie before. This is the way the like the American Godzilla movie, uh the nineties one ends too, where they kill Godzilla and then it cuts to a sequel setup. And that's bad too. Uh, that's a much worse movie than this, but that's bad too. Uh, yeah, like, this is much, much better than that film. And like, it's again, it's just that like everybody's having fun. Like, there's uh, the, you know, there's the the cocky but smart and empathetic uh, army <laughs> captain who played by a guy called Mads Peterson, um, yeah. who looks like effectively Danish Stephen Amell. Get that out of your head if you can. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah. Um, and they have a, a, like a wonderful back and forth with him and, uh, Nora. And then there's the, like the, the sort of meek government guy who's a huge Star Trek nerd. And there's the mousy hacker character who's also a Star Trek nerd and helps save the day with her computer skills. And, (laughs) and like, it's just like, it's just, it's, it's very clearly, it's a film that's made up of references to better films, but in a way that's really fun. Yeah, they took oh. Chloe from Twenty Four and uh, the the woman paleontologist, who's an, literally a paleontologist from Jurassic Park, and they took this guy who's Norwegian, not not Danish. Let's not get that mistake mixed up. Yeah. The uh, so it, but it, it's a jigsaw that instead of feeling cynical, it doesn't try to hide its uh, it, its inspiration at all. And to, like inspiration is one thing. I think I texted you. There's being inspired, and then there's using another movie like Tracing Paper. <laughs> there's, there's exact moments in this film, but it it it's so pacey, and it's it, it takes itself so seriously, and is so well done, but, and it is is really well shot as well. To be fair, but not too seriously. No, exactly. The like it the takes tone, itself seriously, yeah. but to exactly the right extent. Yeah. Exactly, and, yeah. and a great—I think a great example of that. There's a, a joke towards the end where they're talking to Sigrid, the uh, the computer hacker character, and they're like, "We need you to stop this plane from dropping a bomb." And she's like, "Oh, how hard could it be to, you know, hack into a plane and uh, the most sophisticated plane in Europe and and stop it from take over its controls and stop it from dropping a bomb?" And she's saying it really sarcastically, and they're like, "Yeah, maybe it is too hard." And she's like, "No, I, I'm being serious. How hard could it be?" And then she does that. <laughs> 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 it's, yeah big big chloe energy for sure but um, yeah it's pretty great you should definitely watch it we have told you everything that happens in this movie but it's not going to uh it's not going to lessen your enjoyment of this movie because you know exactly what kind of film it is and it doesn't waste any second in telling you it's awesome story 
Yeah. Um, My one complaint is that I do kind of wish Billy Campbell was in it for more than two scenes because I like I Billy know, Campbell. I don't even know who you're talking about. He's not even in the cast list. Uh, he, he is on. He's the guy. He's the guy in the at the very beginning of the movie when she's digging up dinosaur bones. Oh. He's the guy who speaks English. <laughs> and he's a big deal in Canada, is he? He's a character actor. He uh, he's been around since the eighties. Uh, he was on Dynasty. He is in a very <laughs> successful. He's been in Star Trek: Next Generation. He was the outrageous Okana. Um, he also uh, he was in a a very successful Canadian uh, detective show called um cardinal which is a very good show mm-hmm. um so yeah i just i like when i like it when right. he shows up he's been in a lot yeah, of stuff he wants it very much he's the stunt casting the uh western stunt <laughs> casting actor pretty much um, I, I mean you should definitely the, the ending is bad the way the ending is handled is bad but luckily this is like 0.5 percent of this movie it's it's very very fast and it ends very abruptly as it sets up the sequel but you should still watch it because it is it's a really fun popcorn movie that knows exactly what it is it knows exactly what movies you've seen and it wants <laughs> it, and it wants you to go oh yeah it's that bit like it's and it's not done cynically and but it's also shot really really well i'll go back to the the sequence with the truck going through Oslo where they're distracting the, the, with the thing uh, distracting the troll is brilliantly shot. I love a good car chase and this is Mm -hmm. really, really good one. There's lots of momentum. It's really, really well shot. So, um, then there's that, then there's that one shot that's taken again, whole cloth from transformers. (laughs) But again, it's like, it's not even hiding it. It's going, the director's going, it's that bit from transformers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'd yeah, watch it de- again. I, this is definitely a thing I'm going to watch a number of times for sure <laughs> in the background. Yeah, and honestly, it doesn't it doesn't even matter that they're speaking Norwegian. Like it doesn't. Oh, that's a good point. Before I forget, Netflix defaults to the English dub. For the love of God, turn oh, it off the English dub. It doesn't for me. It just oh, okay. Netflix on Roku defaults to the English dub. So please please turn off the English dub and turn on subtitles and oh. listen to the Norwegian because the Norwegian is a beautiful language and the dub is clearly ADR'd in a different room so you don't get any of the environmental sounds to their voices and uh, and just read, just read. Like if you should that's not so, be listening to dubs if there are subtitles. That's so weird too because like maybe it's a setting somewhere, I don't know because my mine never mine never defaults to anything other than whatever the default language is uh, like the one, the one exception to that would be RRR this year. And that's only because Netflix mm-hmm. only got it in Hindi rather than mm-hmm. Telugu in which it was filmed. So right. Um, otherwise it always know. goes to whatever language to, it's supposed to be in. I don't know. Um, the, the dub is, is not great. And well, they never are. Um, it doesn't sync very well with their, their mouths because Norwegian and English don't have much in common, but um uh, the, and Norwegian is a beautiful language, and there's so much more emotion when it comes out of the actors' mouths. And if you're out, if you're not in the habit of reading subtitles, I suspect if you're listening to our podcast, you probably do already. But this should be your default for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent, it should. Yeah, you always lose something in, for lack of a better yeah. way to say it, you lose something in translation. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, stars for you? Three. It's a yeah. totally cromulent three stars. It's not. <laughs> It's not amazing. It's not like, I don't know how to say this without sounding negative about it. It's not like a great film. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. an important film, mm-hmm. but it is super fun and you should totally watch it. And that's really my me- my metric I want these days. I've yeah. watched other important films recently, um, one of which we <laughs> mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, where I think I am the person on the planet who didn't like this movie. But um, uh, this is definitely the kind of thing I want to watch for sure, and I will rewatch it. And it's three stars from me as well for exactly the same reason. It's uh, it knows exactly what it is, and it's a lot of fun. And it's a real shame that we didn't have the ending where she uses 
one of the helicopters. Oh, I've just remembered. I'm not going to spoil this because there's one bit with a lot of helicopters. And when they, when they all fly in unison, she has an idea and they all fly these helicopters that are doing a thing towards the troll. And I laughed so hard. I woke one of my children up. Like it was just <laughs> one of those, you know, the bit I mean, is I know like, exactly oh, the bit you mean. It's oh, the, that's so good. <laughs> it's it's the bit that's lifted from Kong Skull Island. So oh, okay. it's, <laughs> this is better than Kong Skull Island. There, I've said it. I did not like that film, um, but I just like at the end she just they just pretend she uses the helicopter that has one of the UV lights as a shield, and they they shadow him back to the mountain, and she talks to him, and then she she tells him to go back to sleep, and he does. Just imagine that as the end of that movie. But I don't know. They needed. To, that there is a setup for another angry troll at the end, so I guess they needed their trolls to be um, a threat rather than something that can be pacified. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, the I mean, yeah, the ending is is bad, but it's still a fun movie. So definitely yeah, watch yeah, it. Yeah, definitely one hundred percent watch it. Yeah, yeah, good, awesome. Good. Well, let's move on to. Um, I think the more important film of the episode. Uh, we're not going to say important. Come on, no. we're not those people. The bigger deal. The bigger deal yeah. film of the of the podcast. Uh, uh, the one likely also to win an Oscar. <laughs> the one that feels like nearly a lock to win an Oscar for sure. Um, mm-hmm. This is from also from Netflix. Is Guillermo del Toro's uh, adaptation of Pinocchio, which. Pinocchio. Which is, uh, in a word, wonderful. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, dark as shit, but wonderful. Like, dark is really dark. And, I mean, that shouldn't be a shock, knowing that Guillermo del Toro is the impetus behind this, that it is a much darker adaptation of this story than we're used to. But it sure is pretty good. Um, I don't think I liked it as much as a lot of people in the world did. Uh, and I think you liked it less than me, but you did like it, right? Yeah. So the thing, what I feel about Del Toro movies, and I have a similar reaction after I watch his movies, which is spectacularly made. Uh, we we all know his design, uh, like his approach to design is so great and so him. Like you can spot a Del Toro design without yep. knowing he had anything to do with it. And there's not many... A, directors who have that kind of influence i think i i just feel very detached when i watch this movie and i don't know why i don't know if it's the darkness in it uh i don't know if it's the the over emphasis on style over the characters i don't know i this is one of the his movies that i liked more than others um the stop frame i mean technically the stop frame in this is Leica quality like that Leica studio is my benchmark for good stop motion and this is this could be one of theirs I think I would go so far as to say that this is probably the best stop motion animation I think I've ever seen you, you probably wouldn't be wrong like just... like not not commenting on like the the, the plot or anything but just mm-hmm. like the level of sophistication and nuance in the actual technical, frame by frame animation of this is yeah. unparalleled. I don't think it's, I've I've never yeah. seen anything so thoughtful or detailed before. So K- Kubo and the oh god, how many strings does he have? Two. Two? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kubo and the two strings it would equal it for me, but it, it is uh it is exceptional. It's a god even I don't even want to think about the man hours that went into moving these things and then taking pictures over and over and over. And, and the, uh, the design again is incredible. And what I really liked about this a lot, one of my favorite things is how Del Toro took the main points of Pinocchio. So the recognizable points of the story and transposed them. So they, they meant something slightly else so you put them in a a slightly different situation all of the main points happen but in slightly different ways as the classic and it became his version is really uh more about an an examination of how fascism rises how it takes hold and also the treaties on death this is a movie about death and, and explicitly about death 
It's very interesting, too, because it's very clear that he went to the original writing and not to the Disney version, which I think we're... When we think Pinocchio, I think that's what we think about, right? Mm-hmm. But the original Pinocchio was actually basically a serialized children's story with many episodes. And mm-hmm. this version adapts many of the same points that Disney did, but also a few that it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. And is much more... I mean, to be fair, the original was written in, what, like 1880, I think? Mm-hmm. Um I think it's like 1880, 1881, something like that. Anyway, the point is that like this is much closer to So this is much closer to the the tone and style of the original writing in the same way that like I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read like original Grimm's fairy tales. Mm-hmm. But they are much different than the Grimm's fairy tales <laughs> you probably know today. Yes. Uh, my favorite difference to my favorite thing to explain the differences is that in The Princess and the Frog, in the version most of us know and love, the princess kisses the frog and he turns into a prince in the original version. She's disgusted by him and throws him against the wall and, and smash and he gets splattered against the wall. And then he turns into a prince like a dead prince. Yeah. Um, so in that way, this one is a, like much grimmer, much darker. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, yeah. And, um, it, and like, you know, del Toro stuff is always sort of like, dark and existential and exploring grief and othering and all of that kind of stuff. And, yeah. uh, if, if you respond to that, you're going to love this. And if you maybe don't, then not so much. So it is, I sometimes wonder if it needs to be as dark for, this is a PG rated movie and, PG means parental guidance, so it usually means I've got a kid of 8 and a kid of 11, and it means they'll probably be fine. Other PG movies are fine. But it's a good reminder that movie ratings are based on visual tick boxes of violence, smoking, uh, swearing. So they're very... They're not about tone. They're about the visual things that you do or do not see. And I feel quite strongly, actually, that this is not a child's movie. On any level, I I would not show this to my children because there is there's they've seen many films that are about death. Uh, this is explicitly about death. In fact, one of the best things about this movie is when Pinocchio keeps going back to like uh, Limbo or Afterlife. I forget if they named it, but he keeps dying but coming back and. I loved that design and the conversations he has down there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very typical. If you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, this, it's so similar in style to that kind of, uh, that tone. But there's sequences in this, for example. There's a sequence where he's discovered by the, the, this guy who made money from him and he's angry, he ran away. So he ties him um, to a crucifix, which is an ongoing theme from earlier in the movie. He ties him to a crucifix and sets fire to, and he starts screaming as, as the fire burns up. And I think there's certain things that you, you certain tones in a, in a kid's movie, like a lot of movies I watched, we talked about this a little bit off air before we started, had threat, but not dark, like a dark undercurrent of being burned alive on a crucifix. Right. Mm. I think, I think there's a level and I feel kind of, um, I almost watched this with my kids. We actually turned it off because the, um, we, we know that Gibraltar makes Pinocchio because he's sad about losing his son. Like we, we saw that in the other version of Pinocchio this year. It's part of the story and why he treasures him like a, a real boy. But what, how, what we get here is an expanded uh, uh, sequence where we see the boy alive. We see them in love. We see them existing and then yeah, we see, we see it, the death and it's, it's, not, a, it's not it's not a ham-fisted aside to the camera <laughs> no no but it's also very explicit and um my my kids like it's not like other movies that have dealt with loss that's fine it's it was just too much they just didn't want to watch something like that it, and it was just too real it's a very real movie if that makes sense it's, no, a, it it's, it's very very real and I don't think it's 
if the objective was to make a del toro film but f- something that kids could watch i think it's i don't think it's a successful um film if it wanted to do that however for our age group or, or you know tw- the older teen it's a great uh introduction to everything his style there's so much of him in it uh, because it's so visual as well and it is spectacularly directed and shot like the technical aspects are incredible yeah but i i, I was I, left to be cold by it i have mixed feelings about what you're talking about because obviously you're a parent and i'm not and so my opinions are based on my own childhood and not like seeing stuff through the eyes of somebody else like yours are but like I definitely remember movies that were as upsetting or as sad from when I was a child. So I think that probably PG-13 might have been like a better rating or I guess in Canada, 14A. Um, But I think that like, um, like for me, like I feel like this might be in the same in the same way that the uh the never ending story was too much for me when i was you know 6 to 8 the age of your one child uh mm. i feel like this would probably be okay for your older kid like cuz uh, like you know uh, it is one of those I, ones that that like mm. is could be very important and very formative if they see it at the right age and every kid develops at different rates but i feel like uh, early teen and preteen is not out of the question for this one but like six eight yeah probably too much probably too much i mean and the ending is incredibly sad as well i know it tries to end it, it has a repeating idea of life is only beautiful because it ends like it's said very explicitly earlier on that mm-hmm. it's not you, you it's not about living forever and the ending sort of circles back to that but in just the saddest way again an extended saddest way possible and i just wonder if it crossed i feel like it crossed a line a couple of times i i think that that i think examining that line is important i feel like films are a way that we teach children how to process these things and teaching them empathy so i think that you know Every parent needs to make their own choice about this, obviously, but I feel like it might actually be kind of an important film for a kid to see. I think Marcel does it better, I have to say. Marcel is another kid-oriented movie that deals with death, and I think it finds that line more successfully. That's fair. I mean, I think um, probably another great example would be um, the Pixar movie Inside Out also finds that line maybe a little better. Yeah, totally. Um, But... That being said, I don't think that this one, I don't think this one doesn't find it. I think it's just, I think that this one skews a little sadder in its ending in particular. Like it, it's a, it doesn't have the same sort of hope or upbeat, like uptick in the tone that those other two have yeah, at the end. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's. I think it's definitely a choice. I think that everyone's going to respond to it differently, but I don't. I don't think it's an inherently bad choice. I I just feel bad for. Is this getting a theater run? Uh, no, or it played it. It played a number okay. of festivals, and by the time our listeners are hearing this on the fourth, it'll be out on the 9th of December, I believe, on Netflix. I just feel bad for the parents who are like, oh, it's Pinocchio and it's PG, we'll just put that on, fine. And like by the end of this film, it's very, I like it. I just think it goes too, it skews too dark and too sad to be a true kids movie. But but there's there's one thing we haven't talked about that we I should. Mean, uh, I, guess, I, guess, the, I guess my counterpoint is that I think that like, I don't think every kids movie needs to be bright and happy. No, but I I don't either. And I've watched a lot of kids' movie with my kids, and they they prefer. My my daughter said a couple of times this year how she likes watching the movies that we watched when we were a kid. We've been showing them all the stuff because she likes the more dynamic approach to it. She likes the higher threats, and she thinks it's far more exciting. I just think there's a line, and mm. I think this crosses that line to be a true kids' movie. Mm. Um, Fair enough, but. 
but one thing we haven't talked about is that this the second Pinocchio movie released this year, and it's really, really interesting to watch both of them and watch the Disney one first, the Disney quote-unquote live-action remake of Pinocchio, and then watch this one and just see why the Disney one was so flat because it's the same story beats, but it, it doesn't have an ounce of the creativity of this one or an ounce of the, uh, the intention to not modernize it, but transpose it into a visual medium that is different from the original animation. It, it is also, so it also lifeless. Have, yeah. The, the Disney one, I think we said at the time, like the Disney one has exactly no spark of any kind. Like yeah. it's, it's lifeless. It's soulless. It is mm-hmm. intentionless unless you count the intention to sort of cash in. Yeah. Um, it it tries to make no point. It's it's actually a pretty good example of the things that people accuse Disney of doing all the time of just like making content for your eyeballs to watch to to monetize your nostalgia. Mm-hmm. This this version has a very clear thesis about death and grief and life moving mm-hmm. on and and about um, who we love and how we love them and why. Um, and honestly, just all around better performances, like yeah, like, like and ideas like, as well, and just like everything about it is better. Like it is yeah. oh, a absolutely. much better movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we haven't even we haven't even gotten to the fact that like David Bradley as Geppetto is heartbreaking, heartbreakingly mm-hmm. wonderful, and you you and McGregor as the talking cr- cricket is yeah so I'm much great. fun. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but the monkey that only talks once and otherwise <laughs> just like squeals and, and makes monkey noises is Kate Blanchett. <laughs> uh, I had, I, I had no idea until I saw the cast list, but yeah. that's kind of perfect. And then they cast Tilda Swinton to be these forest spirits that, and she's like the perfect, like yeah, who, who else? No, knowing who else that, who cast? else would you cast? Right. <laughs> There's like, no she's, one else. Yeah. She's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I really liked how the, like the moments like um when um Pinocchio runs away to be with the naughty boys and in the Disney movie they go to like Funfair Land but it turns out to be a dark prison. And the way that this he where he goes in this version is so different but so perfectly apt for what they were trying to tell with the story. And it still fits in with the idea of where the naughty boys are going. And enhances this terrible fascism that's growing like support of Mussolini yeah and, I, think, uh, I think moving uh, the story it's so clever moving it's the so story clever. to 1930s Italy is a really interesting choice yeah. uh, and a really good way to sort of examine the things that this movie is trying to examine yeah. and I think that you know leaving um, leaving the, the Toyland part out and turning it into like a military academy basically is mm-hmm. also super interesting. Yeah. Um, I also just really appreciate just to come back, circle back around to the design for a minute. I also just really appreciate mm-hmm. that Pinocchio is much more clearly a puppet in this version. Mm-hmm. You know, in previous, the Disney versions, especially he just, if you didn't know any better, you'd be like, Oh, it's just a boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this one, he is very clearly made out of wood. He's, you know, got nails sticking out of him. And it's, it is a little, again, it's still Toro, so it's a little darker, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it uh, it does make parts of the story, I think, more impactful. Yeah. Without it's... without without going into spoilers, it does make many parts of the story more impactful. There, there's an yeah the the idea of how this movie interprets the idea of Pinocchio wanting to become a real boy and how they deal with that is really really interesting mm-hmm. and not what I was expecting at all. So again, I mean that's. And again, yeah, I've, like said this, that. I've said that about many parts of this film now. Yeah, and that, that again comes back to I think this probably was too much for your 8 year old but like for 11 to 13 I think like that kind of messaging might be important. Mm. And I get, I, get, I get what you're saying about it being like over a line and I think every parent should probably uh, watch this first. Yeah, oh, but, uh, without question. Yeah, But um, I think that that there's one scene in particular where, where Pinocchio, the scene where Pinocchio has to basically choose to be a real boy, I think is super impactful. And the reasons mm-hmm. without going into 
spoilers about what exactly is going on in those scenes, I think that lots of kids would benefit from it. Because again, movies are movies are empathy machines, right? They, so, they, yeah. they they teach us how to feel, and I think that that is a an important and potentially quite formative scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there are parts of this movie that are that don't cross a sadness line, and and I think there's parts of this movie that do, I, I, maybe needlessly, um, which uh, I have an issue with, really. Yeah, well, just show them inside out first, so they know how to process their sadness. That'd be fine. I think I, I think they've seen it. I think they've seen Inside Out, and uh, I think my daughter cried a lot. Well, she should. I it's think a sad ev- movie. everyone. Yeah, <laughs> we can't. None of us can watch the uh, first five minutes of Up. We all fast forward through that. Like, there's not a dry eye in the house. Yeah, it's because um, it's a that's a heartbreaking sequence. Oh God, terrible. But um, anyway, how many stars are you giving Del Toro's Pinocchio? Uh, I am going to give it four stars out of a potential five. And um, I'm also actually going to give it four. We agree on both movies today. I'm also going to give it four, four, four movies out of five movies. Four stars out of five. Pure, uh, the, it's technically astounding. And most of it is really good. It's a little pacey in places. I, honestly, I could say this about every single Del Toro movie. This is how I feel about everything he's made which is technically unbelievable designer incredible bit pacey a bit too dark <laughs> right like um yeah the, i think a common thing for me i think that yeah if you were to like if you were to like sum up guillermo del toro's filmography you could probably sum it up by being like that line from game of thrones the night is dark and full of terrors you know like um but to his credit i think he thinks that those terrors are he treats those terrors as though they are beautiful and he uses Mm -hmm. them to tell stories that are impactful Mm -hmm. and not every one of those is going to connect like i know you weren't a huge fan of the shape of water i was going to say shape of water is just a flat out terrible movie and i stand by that and i hate hated that movie yeah i sorry i just i just had to goad admiral hot takes into the light for a moment (laughs) oh come on that's not a hot take lots of people dislike that movie i thought it was terrible and also we um do lots of people dislike that movie the academy award winner for best picture yes lots of people dislike the shape of water also very uh looking at this filmography now i didn't manage to make it through all of nightmare alley I actually pieced out on Nightmare Alley because Nightmare Alley is is a very very <laughs> slow movie. I would it, that would I would actually argue that of the Del Toro movies I've seen, Nightmare Alley is probably my least favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that run of Blade Two, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy Two, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak is like unmatched yeah. for me. Like that's a hell of a run, I and I know what. Made- you made Mimic as well. I watched that in cinemas. Yeah, so did I. We've actually watched that fairly recently. Um, that's probably his least Del Toro one because yeah. it's clearly covered in studio fingerprints. But yeah, exactly. uh, and I know that I'm much higher on Crimson Peak than a lot of people as well. But I, I recognize that the movie is what it told me it is in the first like five minutes. That it's mm-hmm. it's not a ghost story. It's a love story with ghosts in. Um. But like that is a that is a hell of a run, and they're all mm. super dark, and they all tell us things through that darkness. And I think that's mm-hmm. I think it's good that we have him working, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Oh yeah, oh for sure, absolutely. I mean, I hate the word alter, but really, it really applies to him that when when you have such a distinctive style like that, it's yeah. something to be treasured. Even if you don't engage with the movie, I'm glad he keeps making them because no one else is making films like that. Yeah, I uh, I sincerely hope that he keeps working with. Um, uh, b- b- uh, his name's gone out of my head. Ron Perlman forever. Oh yeah, of uh, course. Like every time I watch a Del Toro movie that Ron Perlman isn't in, I'm like, oh, that's that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. I'm not here for the next couple of weeks. What have you got coming up? Uh, so I, I don't yet know what we're going to be covering, but we are going to be, I'm going to be joined by the lovely and talented Rachel Ho for the next two episodes, at least, uh, to do our usual thing. She's our usual stand in. Um, 
In case uh, anyone who didn't know, Rachel has recently been promoted to editor for film at Exclaim.ca, and she's actually in town right now uh, covering Whistler Film Festival, and I almost certainly won't get to see her, which sucks, but uh, she is here and she's covering the festival. If you're an aspiring film review writer, maybe don't read her reviews so you feel feel slightly okay about your own style of writing because her, her writing's exceptional and she's just great. Yeah, really she's good. really good. Yeah, read everything she writes. It's really good. And she has uh, the best radio voice. So it's... Um, <laughs> she does. She'll be joining us for... She'll be joining me for the next uh, at least two episodes. And yeah. uh, and I don't know what we're going to cover yet. It's going to be interesting. We'll find out soon. It'll be interesting. Fun. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for the show. So two movies. See them both. Uh, they're mm-hmm. both on... Troll is on Netflix. Uh, as of the... Release date of this episode, Troll is already on Netflix. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio will be on Netflix on uh, November, sorry, December the 9th. Uh, and definitely add it to your watch list. And if you're a parent, maybe watch it before you let your kids watch it. Yes. Yes, yeah. Dave. Uh, anyone who's under, let's say, 12. 12? I think that's fair. Yeah. 13, yeah. Um, and yeah. But they're both great. You should watch them. That's uh, where we're going to cut it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it does appear that our listener base continues to grow. So everyone who's here for the first time, thank you so much for listening. Everyone who's here for the any other number of, of time, also thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate each and every one of you. If you'd like to reach out and talk about what we've talked about or give us your thoughts on either film, uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, the main handle is at AwesomeFridayCA. I am at Smatthew AF and Simon is at Temporary Pen. Uh, or you can reach us by email if you really like uh, comments at awesomefriday.ca. Um, if you have liked what you've heard, please take the time to subscribe, smash that like button, give us a five star review, assuming you think we deserve that. Uh, and if you like on your podcasting platform of choice, and if you'd like to support us a little more directly, we do have a Patreon and a coffee, and all of that is in the show notes. We record this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish nations. Thank you again so much for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday. I have a great Christmas. See you in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs>